Recording in progress, Jake. The um, how are you? I'm good, man. I just woke up and I made myself a smoothie. Oh, delicious coffee and a old thing of pasta. So I'm feeling great. <laughs> I love that things just sort of pop out of the background uh, with your <laughs> they, they <laughs> manifest. I manifested a smoothie this morning. <laughs> You know, you know, I'm an online person and I do a lot of weird shit. Uh, let me show you what else I've been fucking with background wise. I'm sure this is an audio format podcast. So I'm ruining it right now, but I've been living inside of the DeSorono on the rocks commercial. This is kind of my new thing. <laughs> Look at her lick the ice cube. Uh, <laughs> does not remember. Uh, <clears throat> baffling. Yeah. So I, I have no editing chops yet, so I'm just going to do, I'm going to manually uh, say our introduction uh, up top. The um, So uh, please welcome to, uh, what the hell, I have no idea what I'm doing, um, the unnamed podcast, which is not really a podcast yet, uh, our, our next uh, guest for this thing that won't be going out to anybody um, is a uh, comedian, podcaster, retired uh, pizza delivery guy, uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, nemeses. Uh, I want the, the clapping to start on the left over here, and then the clapping to start on the right, and then please welcome to the stage the Texas Tornado, Jake Flores. Oh, good to be here, Mishka. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Tip your weight, staff. You sound like you're processing the fact that you're starting a podcast in a very healthy manner and not uh, neurotic about it at all you seem like you're in denial about the fact that this is happening <laughs> with all the the addendums to the title and stuff but i get it welcome the, to hell yeah. i yeah i feel like i need to uh, begin with two apologies to you the which is that's always a good way to start things is uh you know thanks and i'm sorry the um the Marin method the um i'm i'm sorry that i have uh shit on uh podcasting forever the and then now i'm doing it uh so uh sorry for hypocrisy um i don't know it's a it's a natural human condition forgive me you jerk uh the other thing is um i want to apologize for sleeping on your podcasts in particular i feel like we do this thing as um, artists who are friends with each other where we we just want the friend portion but not the the artist portion which is counterintuitive because they sort of blur together um but i finally i mean, i've listened to pod damn america and enjoyed it and then i finally like put on uh uh why you mad the other day uh it's fucking great dude it's so good thanks man well <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that, but like, uh, first of all, to your first thing uh, about making fun of podcasts and then doing them, uh, don't worry, that's like literally everybody. Everybody hates the fact that we have to do this for some reason, for reasons that are very interesting and probably hard to pick apart in this uh, short of a conversation. But like, I mean, everybody does it. Like, th there's this. This lady on Twitter the other day got fucking got real hard because she said like the old joke of, you know, a podcast is a group of white men or some, some dumb shit like that. And then everyone was like, but you have a sub stack. But she was saying like, 
oh, podcasts, men feel like they need to have podcasts so they can broadcast their every thought. It's like this lady had a Substack, which is like the same thing for writing. This is just the medium that we're working in. We're all, we all fucking hate it uh, <clears throat> because um, I don't know, you know, because we're psychological creatures or whatever. But in terms of like my podcast, I know what you mean, but I think I think you and I have slightly different values because I've noticed you like c- uh, grapple with this concept. And the truth is, I don't care if any of my friends listen to my show. Like, there's this thing in comedy where I've had a lot of conversations with people where, like, just out of nowhere, out drinking or something, some friend of mine who, like, listen, I've never heard your show and I don't listen to it or whatever. And they'll, like, feel like they're confessing something to me. And I'm like, we literally, like, I know, like, hundreds of comedians and we all have these pot, like, things that are, you know, functionally one thing or the other, but they're essentially like, side gigs that we attached on to careers as comedians because it's 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 like getting a job in like morning radio or something like it's the thing that you do to fund the other thing that doesn't actually make that much money and also my main show pda is esoteric i mean it's it's for like a specific niche audience of people that are and i do it with two other guys and we're all autistic and no one knows what the hell we're talking about half the time so i'm never like why the fuck doesn't everyone listen to this? I'm glad you're like, well, you mad, though, because that's where I go to let my hair down and just have a conversation. So, like, I feel like people that like that show actually like me. Like, it's it's one of those. Um, I mean, we're kind of doing the parasocial thing in that we are being ourselves very honestly on the show. So if you like it, you like me or whatever. But um, but not, nah, man, I don't, I'm, I'm glad you like it. But I, I've never had anxiety about that. And I've, actu- I've actually had to, like assert a few times in my life like to friends like this is not the way that i view the world like i don't think that we're supposed to always be consuming each other's stuff and whatever like i respect my friends enough to you know for us to all be comfortable what you know whether i don't know maybe i won't listen to your music for six months and then i'll go back into it and i'll tell you how much i like it and stuff and you know well that that leads uh, seamlessly into my next apology which is that uh I, I came for the Jake and I'm staying for the Louisa. Uh, no, she's the star of the show. It she's sucks. Fucking great, man. She's uh, uh, the, and I remember fuck, three years ago. Now we were hanging out in some bar in Bushwick and you were telling me about her and you were like, I met this woman. She's really awesome. The, I think we're going to start a podcast together. The, and I have this, um, you know, resistance to, stuff and things the it's like you know everybody tells you um oh you know i don't know fucking bell and sebastian they're a great band you know and enough people tell you that you get fatigue and so you're like well fuck fuck that band i'm not going to listen to them the um but it's just it's counterintuitive because all my friends are smart and funny and fucked up so why wouldn't i like the same shit that they like you know, I slept on flat duo jets and uh, Detroit Cobras, you know, like, you know, very late in the game because I had so many people telling um, Murder City Devils too. the. Oh, man. Um, oh, yeah. I love I love Detroit Cobras and Murder City Devils. I don't know the other one, but I'll try. I'll look them up. Oh, oh dude. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll send you this flat duo jets record. It like changed my fucking life. And I found it when I was like 19, which is, you know, so I, I did find it early enough. The But it, you can absolutely hear that that's like my source material. Um, but I had a chance to get into it when I was 15 and I always think that I would be a better, more interesting person. Had I just listened to my friend also named Jake, Jake Sweets. <laughs> so, uh, sorry. Wow. um, apologies to, to all the Jakes out there, but, um, but no, I I, I've never seen the Godfather for that reason. I'm just, I feel like I know about it too much. There's too much pressure to watch it. Like it's, yeah. uh, 
the thing i don't know why we do this to ourselves but i totally get it, it makes sense whenever i finally do do a thing too i do it wrong the i um jt had been recommending that i watch bone tomahawk so i did that thing of you know counter protesting that neo-nazi um uh rally in georgia and you know uh just freaked the fuck out from like having guns pointed at me by cops and shit. And I came home and I was like, man, I need to chill out. I I'll, uh, I'll watch that movie bone Tomahawk that JT has been hassling me to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, Oh no, man. Just shuddering the, all the way through it. It was fucking horrible. The, um, but yeah, the, hopefully I'll get Louisa to come on uh, here and uh, berate me at some point. The, um, it, you guys make such a great uh, team because um, she's, uh you know she's sort of like very confident and well researched and outspoken um you know she feels very strongly about the stuff that she has opinions on which is basically everything the um and she's well researched the and i and i think it's really great coupled with your um uh droopy dog in the rorschach trench coat um persona of where like you um I mean, this makes me sound like this makes it sound like you're uh, at a uh, a Ren Fest or something, but you are beholden to nothing but the truth. The um, you are the guy who will say <laughs> nothing but the truth. I can see that. Fair, yeah. The or uh, was the uh, Ambrosius? None shall pass. The um, you, you say the thing, however unpopular it may be, or however much shit it's going to get you um, online just because it's um it's a thing you know it's a thing that merits saying it there is some truth there or it needs to be teased out there's a nuance that's that be, the people aren't getting um but um one of the things i noticed from listening to you guys a lot in the last whatever week or 10 days is that uh when you're podcasting i can hear you listening to each other and it's so rare to hear people listening to it's like all it's like uh an, an erotic thrill to hear another human being listening like listening and I, I can hear you guys thinking too you know we like to think that this medium podcasting came about and it's it's simply just um accessible diy radio right and that's true it is great for the dissemination of information, which is why I have my other show, which is just like political and propagandistic or whatever. But like, honestly, the more I've like really done podcasting and listened to them myself and got really hooked on them and stuff, I, the theory I have of it is the this thing called the parasocial, which is like um, it's like a a term that sort of originally came about in sociology in the seventies or eighties. The first people they ever noticed that you could develop a parasocial with a relationship with were late night tv hosts which is why i think joker is such a good movie because it like echoes what's happening today and what happened back then with this like split identity a lot of us are having so it's the thing you're describing where you're like listening to us you can hear us uh you know genuinely like each other and that's an enjoyable experience i it's i i like it and i do it myself but i also think it's this tragic byproduct of how fucking alienated everyone is right now because like <sighs> the whole thing to me in my mind reads very much like a cyberpunk dystopia that we're living in where like you know how like in in sci-fi there's like fake drugs or like made up you know for the story to me i'm like oh we're all so fucking lonely that we're walking around with these capsules of like 
friendship to just like crack every now and then and like get a buzz off of you know but it does work and it is fucking enjoyable and uh and i do think me and louisa have a pretty genuine friendship and you can't hear us listening to each other and like i me and her are we're built the same way i think because like we've literally like had arguments and conversations with each other like about the way that we like talk over each other on the show and stuff and so now i can tell when we because we're both just whenever we go into that fucking podcast, we're both so keyed up. We're like, man, I got this fucking take. It's going to blow your mind or whatever that we spent an hour just sort of like steamrolling each other. And by the end of it, we're like, wow, that was a crazy one. But like we had to really fine tune, like, you know, when to make eye contact and notice the other person has something to say and stuff like that. And it created it became this like, uh, I don't know, this weird dance, but I, it's fucking great. I enjoy it. I love it. It's my favorite thing I do every week. You know, it, it's funny because when um, uh, a couple years ago, uh, before COVID, the, you know, I mean, I, I always sort of um, shit on, uh, you know, sort of podcast fiends as, um, you know, these uh, friendless losers who tune into other people's relationship to, to feel like they're part of a thing, part of a relationship or imagine that they have friends and like, boom, hey, we're all there now. Um, the, and, uh, you know, I was like, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, Oh, what'd you do today? And I was like, Oh, I was hanging out with, I was listening to the, but the, you know, but the nature of, um, of it not being you broadcasting and it just being a conversation between, between, you know, two friends who get worked up about shit, the it's, um, it reminded me of like Conan and Andy Richter. Um, yeah. you know, which for me was like a golden era of Conan O'Brien, the, um, just the, the rapport between the two of them, like the, you know, the ball busting and the, and riffing and stuff like that. The, yeah. there's uh, also this thing to it where like, I've been I'm reading this book, the dawn of everything by David Graeber right now. It's this huge 700 page piece of shit and it's ruining my life. <laughs> it's really good. And it's like, uh, he, I mean, it's about everything, but he talks a little bit in this one chapter about how like, in philosophy way way back in like ancient philosophy everything was written in a dialogue because like that's the only way that the human brain can really like work out certain things and like neuroscientists will also sort of agree that like that's the only when you're talking in a dialogue with somebody your fucking brain is doing something different than when it, you're alone and it's on autopilot so this idea that philosophers can sit around and just sort of like work everything out alone is kind of bullshit and if anyone was able to do that back then they were considered like a superhuman the same way like if a comedian is able to do a podcast alone like bill burr everyone's like how the fuck is he doing that you know yeah so so yeah. like it makes perfect sense that this is a format that's more fruitful than um you know i don't know just other things like writing or whatever they're like solitary like it, it's it's like weird because you're creating thoughts the way that people experience them in their heads which is why it feels so personal to put on a pair of headphones and go walk around because it's like you're it's like you're doing like a thing from a movie where you like take a you know a, a memory out of somebody else's head and then like put it into yours for a moment or whatever it's like incredibly intimate and vivid you know and it's funny because most of the time we're just talking about bullshit the um yeah one of my my the highlights one of the highlights of the uh listening to the podcast is uh you right after getting boosted where you're just like sniffling into the <laughs> coughing and sniffling and blowing your nose into the mic the whole time yeah sorry <laughs> the asmr um 
<laughs> but um, I, I feel like I always attribute this to Derrida, and I, I know that's not who said it, but the, one of the things they were talking about with like literacy in developing civilizations and um, was that uh, was sort of exactly what you were talking about that in our minds, we, we just monologue the, but one of the, why literacy is so transformative is um, by writing, we're able to other our intellect so we can write down one argument, um, you know, red is bad, you know, and then in our heads, we can think, well, no, blue is bad, you know, and, and then achieve the whatever, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Um, it's way more fun to hear other people doing it um, on a fucking podcast than to hash all that shit out, you know, the, with your, uh, you know, your scroll, your tablet. Well, also there are other people, so they're also, it's, it's removed one step again. So everything is slightly more novel than like, you know, if you just, if you just engage with your own thoughts all day, you'll just run into brick walls left and right because you can't see in certain directions. Yeah. The, there have been two periods in my life, the, where I, I was so, um, I was isolated enough where I, um, began where in my head, I began confusing my friend group with, uh, um, with the TV show I was watching. Yeah, totally. Uh, when I first moved to New York, the, I was living like 116th and Broadway and just like sort of living off hot dogs there was a Mike, uh, Mike's papaya there and hot dogs were still 50 cents. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, I lived on like, you know, $3 worth of hot dogs every day. I was, I was getting like rickets and like diseases that <laughs> cured the <laughs> trench mouth. Um, but, uh, but I remember talking to my, my, my stepbrother who I was living with and he was like, you know, you ever think about like trying to get some friends, you know? And I was like, what? I'm friends, with, I'm friends with Beth, you know, the sassy redhead receptionist. And I, I'm friends with Joe, the, you know, the handyman. <laughs> just fucking yeah. news radio. <laughs> yeah, I know Joe, our <laughs> friend. We all love him. Love oh, him. God. Yeah. Uh, he peaked early. That um, happened to me with um, Harmontown. The guy who made Rick and Morty had a really good podcast where it was like a live show and they would play D&D &D and drink and stuff. And he's really fun to listen to just going off the dome and stuff. So I so I think I I think I was the first person who got I could be wrong, but like I got like um, Blake and our friend Suntech into it for a while. And we would then when we'd hang out, we'd have something to talk about. And at first it was like, you know, this thing that we're all listening to. like, Oh, man, did you hear what happened this week? You know? It was pretty good. And then I know we were in a bar one time and I noticed something very subtle had slipped, which is that we started saying instead of like, did you hear on the show when this happened? We just started saying Dan said this and then Spencer said this. And I was I stood up in a booth at a bar was like, we have to stop because this sucks. We're like talking about imaginary friends and we're in the fucking greatest city in the world. Let's go make some friends, which you know arguably i don't know how that worked out but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the that's that's where the and scene the just a cut there the no i mean the i feel like um dan Harmon's shit is immersive in that regard because this summer when i was like going off the rails on ketamine the i yeah, rick and morty another um thing that i was late you know sort of late to the party on and then very enthusiastic about the i remember waking up in um this is humiliating i remember waking up one morning after a big night and um recalling that scene where uh 
Rick and Morty like bury their own bodies in the backyard. Um, oh yeah, in reality. And I was thinking about like Morty, like uh, Morty's body, like in the backyard. And I started, I like woke up and immediately started crying. I was like, oh fucking Morty, I'm gonna miss him so much. Like the, <laughs> I was like, oh, I gotta dial it back a little here. <laughs> this is well, you're out there in the desert, man. I mean, I could see. I guess like I just drove across the country and whenever I'm outside of New York now, I'm like, I have to get back to New York. I think it's the only place I know how to live because I get this isolated in this in New York, in the most compacted, huge metropolitan city that never sleeps type thing ever. And when I'm out in the rest of the country, I'm just like, how could you not go crazy and become friends with all your TV shows if you live out in these towns where everything shuts down at 8 p.m. and stuff and you have to drive to get everywhere and shit so like i think more and more this stuff is that this is why i'm so obsessed with it and i'm always talking about the parasocial thing and i think the joker is a documentary and all this stuff because like i think this stuff is like here to stay and it's it's like it's symptomatic of these much larger undergirding ways in which we're all being split apart in, in society right now, especially in the way like America's laid out with the suburbs and stuff. And, you know, your brain like works differently when you're around people versus when you're like, all right, I'm in little isolated farmer mode or whatever. The moving to Phoenix, uh, sober in your forties, <laughs> <laughs> fucking a dude the you know i mean so it's not like i'm gonna go out i'm gonna I'm, I, I went to a rave last weekend and made so many new friends you know the um arguably the i think the creepiest thing uh one man can say to another man in in your 40s is uh would you like to be friends the, <laughs> <laughs> the, like the yeah it's it's been weird um moving here and it definitely the i definitely sort of like have gone into my head the also here i mean it's sort of like phoenix is like uh um you know the arctic or the surface of the moon or the bottom of the ocean or something like that where you can just you can just stop your car on the highway and just walk off and die the right the when the default sit, setting here um eight months out of the year is uh the earth kills you and then consumes you you know the um so it's it's definitely a weird place here definitely been a weird trip the i feel like when i was living in new york the it felt like claustrophobic and now i feel like it would feel reassuring like oh the buildings are hugging me or something you know <laughs> instead of just being out here losing my shit the um but that leads me to what I wanted to sort of pester you about today, um, which is what do I, what do I do with this, Jake? How do I, how do I do this? How do I frame this? I need to come up with a fucking, uh, with a, a theme for the podcast. I don't want it to just be a, like a cult of personality thing. I need a, I need a help the branding. I need a name for it. Um, if we can have like a, um, catchphrase, you know, the, um, one of my favorite YouTube videos is uh, dog fart cat puke. Um, so maybe that could be my catchphrase. All right. Um, but uh, you you do this. You've done this. You've done this successfully. The And you and I know each other pretty well. Um, fucking Oracle. What? Speak. What do I do? 
Okay, here's what I think. <clears throat> I think you're um you're it's like <clears throat> I'll explain this. The market has destroyed our fucking souls and our minds and our brains. So podcasting fries people real hard who have been in the entertainment industry for a long time because in the entertainment industry, you're operating on this like notion of scarcity and of like sort of winning the lottery and making it, you know, get, getting your nut all at the fucking same time. Because it's usually how it works. You get a big break and, you know, you get on a TV show or you open for somebody big or whatever and you make a bunch of money and then you coast on it for a while or whatever. And the thing with um, with podcasting is that it's DIY as opposed to like mainstream so like it's it's um it's like having a band like honestly i just had steve albini on my show and he was talking about the state of music and he was talking about how it's actually a much better to deal right now to be on an indie label than it is to be on a mainstream label because on an indie label you have less people listening to you but you split the money 50 50 with your record label and on a mainstream label you have like everyone in the world listening to you and you split the money 99-1 or whatever so it like comes out differently or whatever and that sounds counterintuitive because it sounds like we all want to be the fucking the person on the mainstream label right but we actually I think it works a lot podcasting is good because it's it's like a garden it's a thing that you can like tend to very like zen like every day just a little bit and it'll grow and eventually if you have like a few thousand people that are into it it'll be not just in money i'm not doing like business mindset bullshit here i mean like in terms of getting like a, a feedback and like having it be a, a fruitful like worthwhile endeavor you know it, why you why you mad is like less lucrative than my other show less people listen to it about uh, two a fifth of the people maybe to a tenth of the people that my other show listen to it but it's very rewarding and people that listen to it connect with it like really honestly and i get a lot out of that so even though i make only a few hundred bucks a month off of it right now <clears throat> it's something that like it's it's like totally worthwhile to me so like the way that i got to having something like that was i didn't do what i think a lot of people are kind of uh trained to do and that it's short-sighted, which is sometimes people will set a goal for themselves and go, okay, I got to come up with the name, the business cards, the gimmicks and everything really like push a concept like a podcast really hard. Um, and then if it doesn't make any money or whatever, it doesn't take off and become huge in, every, in six months, I'm going to quit it. And that's how people like treat their own careers in a lot of ways in something like comedy, especially, but like, instead of being somebody who's like goal oriented like that um i'm almost like you know, you probably know this but in in like um fiction writing there's these two opposing methods one of them is uh i can't remember what the first one is the first one is when, when you have like a plot and then you like work towards the ending and the second one is the gardener method which is what like george r, r. martin did was which is you just create stuff and then you just follow it and see where it goes and you know sometimes it doesn't go anywhere that interesting and then sometimes you just have to kill off a you know you have to clip a a thing here and there or whatever but then but then um it grows more organically and that is to me it seems like a good way to do this if you if you wanted to do like the Mishka game show, everyone comes here and asks questions about Mishka and it's super high concept and you have like a thing that everyone does 
you could do that but I, honestly i think like people that have real depth you know like you yourself i'm a fan of yours you know people that have like a lot to say and are writers and stuff like that what you want to have is like this thing that you don't break yourself worrying about all the time it's just partly you have like oh i do this once a week for like an hour or whatever any given point something occurs to you throughout the week you write down oh i could ask this person to come on or i could talk about this thing or whatever and it's like it's on the back burner so it's growing with like you know your subconscious and like with it's being tended to like very nurturingly rather than like forced and if you do something like this for a year and it doesn't end up becoming your thing no big fucking deal you will notice everybody we know has a podcast and a lot of them you can see them advertising them on their social media and there's a point where it just stops because they're like i don't know i got bored with it or whatever but some of them don't some of them start to tick up you know after a while and that's just that's just the game i think you know and you just have to trust yourself if you get bored doing this you don't like doing it you might not be into podcasting you know the um you may be a redneck the um the yeah i mean i had all you know this thing in my head of like oh you know start it this way and and you know fucking get like lanigan and rich roll and the you know the the three most famous people i know to do the first thing and i have this promo and man that sucks to do all the admin shit the you know it just sounds like a fucking nightmare the and i we've talked about this um a little bit but the you know one of the experiences i had that has informed what I do on stage more than anything else was going to see Mark Marin at UCB in a UCB basement in um, maybe 2005, 2006. Yeah. Um, it was before WTF. Um, it was before any, it was like a lot, a, you know, maybe the fucking perigee of his career, you know, that he, he just, he hadn't done anything and he wasn't doing anything, you know, the, um, oh, and, you saw drug Marin. That was like a, a great era of Marin. Before oh yeah. He like the, got sober and then did the podcast and stuff. I saw him the, back then. He had just, um, yeah, he had just gotten divorced and I went to, you went to go see the show and it was like, it was not funny. <laughs> the, it, <laughs> it was not a good time The but you could see him work. You could watch him in real time, working shit out in front of you and the um i went up to him afterwards and i said oh i'm not going to say that i enjoyed that but it was it, it was very useful and he shook my hand and he said i'll accept that you know a very marin response the <laughs> but the i feel like that's the kind of thing that i want to do here the um I thought about I thought about calling it grief buddies because <laughs> I, I had like uh, in the last I mean fucking 2021 was maybe the worst year I've had since I got sober. Well, that, no, definitely the worst year I've had since I got sober. Maybe maybe one of the worst years of my life. The really just fucking dangling by a thread uh, for a long time throughout that year. The and there were you know, conversations with you and JT and dudes from heels and the Travis Reyes and, you know, um, my friend, Sari Beliak, um, other people who are going through shit, the talking to them, the, I, <laughs> Brennan Whalen uh, lost his sister in uh, 2020 
um, Brennan from Heels. The and he and I were talking on the phone one night. The um, and I was just ranting and raving and complaining and you know talk, very immersed in my own head and my own situation. And then finally, like I got a little of a minute of perspective and I was like, Oh my God, dude, I I'm so sorry. Like the um, I'm going on and on about what I'm going through and like, you know, I should be listening to you. Like your sister died. And he was like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? He was like, I love this shit. Cause like after listening to you, I'm like, thank God. It's just that my sister died. <laughs> and there's something uh, there, you know, about like um, all of us, separately and together going through the worst year of our lives um all of us losing the thread uh you know um you know there were definitely moments where i was like um the only reason i'm not crazy right now is because i know that i'm crazy and one of the tests to see if you're insane is if you're convinced that you know your tv is you know actually full of little people the um, that means that you're crazy, you know, the Joe Rogan and Stephen Root, the, um, but to say, um, to say grief buddies, I feel like that's not, uh, sexy. That's not necessarily like, Ooh, my top 10 favorite podcasts about grief and loss, <laughs> you know, I don't know, man. I mean, I hate naming stuff because it isn't uh, isn't fair the way you have to come up with the name beforehand because uh, it's a lot of pressure and you almost have to like be a psychic and figure out what the thing is going to turn into. Like both of my podcasts have really stupid names because I do this thing where I just put it's a pro I do like 10 projects at a time and then I see what starts to speak to me and then also what pops off financially or whatever and when things start to come together I go oh that was the one that okay this is the one I'm going to put my gas into a little bit so like pod damn America is a dumb name it's some joke about a podcast that nobody else listens to or no one has listened to in like five years or whatever pod save America and an esoteric line from a speech by the Reverend Wright um, why you mad is a conversation me and Louisa were having about how people on the internet like say that they're not mad or whatever and we were talking about something and like I think one of us was like no I actually am mad that's the whole point and then we were kind of saying why you mad at each other so like those happened like um those things I, I mean I guess why you mad kind of worked because we were already having the conversations or something and then it like the term I'm going to keep coming back to here is like organic. Like if you, if you try to like artificially come up with a thing that defines your entire being, I mean, you've been in bands and stuff, you know, how fucking hard that is. Like you could very well keep this unnamed until a thing jumps out and then really fucking embodies it. Or, you know, you could land on something and maybe not worry because uh, all podcasts have terrible names for this reason um i there's a couple of comics dave ross and hampton yunt who had a show called suicide buddies which was i think in the direction that you're heading and i thought it was a dumb name <laughs> you know it was i mean it was kind of funny or whatever but like also there's nothing new under the sun um the best podcasts have like the name is eventually you stop even thinking about it and processing it or whatever um WTF's yeah. a pretty good name. <laughs> I, I think I'm just going to go with the band name thing. So, uh, welcome to the uh, the String Cheese Incident podcast. <laughs> welcome to Hot Tuna. 
<laughs> um, and you will know us by the trail of the phlegm because I can't stop coughing into this microphone. The, um, Star Anna and I always wanted to do a, a tour called uh, and you will know us by the trail of iPhone chargers. <laughs> it's like the first fucking thing we would do on tour is like both of us leave our chargers at the first house we stayed and then you know then you pay 16 dollars for something to fucking charge it in the car and then for the rest of the three weeks you're arguing over i only have 17 percent. i i i my phone hasn't been charged full in four days <laughs> just yeah and you're just mad because you started financially in the hole so it fucks up your ability to feel good about getting paid ever and shit i know it yeah. i've done it when me and uh, Avery went on tour, the first show we did in San Antonio, she left her ID at the bar. And left her IUD at the bar? No, her ID. <laughs> oh, God. I was like, fuck, this is a story, dude. <laughs> I know. It ruined the tour. Because <laughs> on really. Um, it's like, know, that's one way to garnish a drink. Touring the country. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're, the bad news is we're out of uh, lemon zest. The good yeah. news is. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah uh, bloody mary let me, okay. let me get one of those old-fashioned margaritas <laughs> <laughs> oh man that joke is so funny man i woke up the other day with a joke uh, i hadn't worked with in like 10 years stuck in my head you ever have that happen yeah the uh ron babcock have you worked with ron much i know him. i don't know if we've ever really done stuff but he's funny. I've seen him. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, he's a riot, and the I can't recommend ever touring with him. Um, <laughs> and and here's why: the I remember like you know being on the road with him and sort of like you know clearing the fucking cobwebs from my eyes, waking up in the morning and going out. And Ron was like, "Oh, hey, what's up, guys? Yeah, I got up early this morning, went for, for a hike, and did a little, you know, a little hot yoga. And then uh, here, I have some fresh brewed green tea that I made for you guys. And I cleaned out the whole van, like while you guys were sleeping. You know, the would you do you want to drive first, or you know, here, you know, here's some fresh cut, you know, orange petals, or it's like." what the fuck is this? I, is this some like, you know, bridge on the river Kwai, like mind game thing where, you know, I, when does, and I ju was just waiting for the ax to fall. He's nice and thoughtful the entire time you're on tour. And it put me so on edge because I was waiting for like, you know, the fucking, the metal hook uh, clinging on the, you know, the door handle of the car or whatever the, you know, I, the, I was waiting for the bad thing to happen. It never happened. And it just, um, fuck me up man yeah that can be like kind of more off-putting i mean there is something like people that are like too nice i often and this is my own neuroses or whatever but i just often suspect them of bullshitting me and like when someone does show you a little bit of ugliness for a moment it is like endearing in a lot of ways to people like me where i go like thank you for like being a human around me now i trust you but some people actually are nice. And so this all gets processed and then they're like, what, <laughs> you know, you're, you're just, I wake up in the morning. I do all this stuff. I do it every day. And it's just like too much for cynical weirdos like us to handle. So somebody needs to name that bias because the, this phrase, uh, CD underbelly, I see it everywhere. The, and it, it makes me think that there is a natural thing in the human brain that when we see, um, when we see something ugly, when we see the, you know, 
the oh that's a sleeping dog and then you turn it over and it's all fucking boiling maggots because it's actually dead then, then we're like now we're seeing the truth you yeah. know the but um and we we always end, end up i mean it makes me think that you and i aren't outliers but that there's a there is a human urge to see the bad thing as the true thing and not that well this it, one way of looking at it is that this is a very sleepy dog you'll never wake this dog up you know the, um all right maybe that's a bad analogy but you know what i'm saying we always we always yeah. take the bad thing and we're like this is the true thing yeah i know and it, i mean it calls into question the overall relative nature of truth but like i uh oof, i mean you can go in circles trying to pick that apart that's where your head is at though right let's go back a little bit you yeah. <clears throat> i i know you you know me there's nothing new about this you're <laughs> you're making a thing creatively right now to process bad shit that is going through you and process it artistically classic everybody talks about this like it's like the newest idea of all time you know comedians are always like i turn darkness into jokes or whatever but like and it's good i like it we all do it but um but this is what's happening right so i think this is me beating the organic drum again or whatever don't you ever just like start writing you know and then just see what happens like just do this podcast just see if because eventually if you just start talking enough whatever the fuck is jumbling around inside of you will start to like crawl its way out of your fucking jaws you know yeah the this is one of the hardest things i i think that or something that I struggle with, I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with is we want to control a thing. The, um, I am dating a girl now and, uh, she refuses to call it, uh, dating. And, uh, so that's kind of cool for me. Cause I'm like, Oh, Oh, that's what that feels like. The <laughs> oh, <laughs> did that to women forever. Fucking sucks. Uh, now I know, um, the, but the, you know, there are times where the, um, the ambiguity drives me nuts. The and I want to say, is it this or is it that? Which one is it? The but I can't, um, I can't force it into one box or the other. The only thing I can, if I if I force it, the only thing I can force it to do is to fail, right? To so to exert control would just to be like we're not seeing each other anymore. The or we're not doing whatever we're doing anymore. The but the harder thing and what you're suggesting and fuck you for that is just to be hands off and be like I'm going to give this podcast an open destiny and see what it turns into. I give this relationship a little R relationship an open destiny and see what it turns into. Um, and by doing that, you give up control and it sucks. <laughs> give up control in a way, but like I don't know. I'm a gambler, you know. And I always think about these things in those terms. And like with podcasts, I always think about it as going into the casino and putting a chip down on your lucky number on the roulette table and just like going, I'm going to like dump 50 bucks into this this way and spend like a couple hours sitting here <clears throat> or whatever. And at the end of a couple hours, if my, <clears throat> sorry, man, uh, I don't know. I'm morning. I don't know. Um, it's four in the afternoon, but uh but if if to get back to my analogy, if you know at the end of a couple hours you spent fifty bucks in a casino, big big deal, right? But if yeah. you're lucky, your number will come up, and then it 
sort of takes off and then you can continue from there and like in that in uh, roulette like you you can do that with multiple things at the same time and there's you know all these mathematical strategic ways to work out like well if i have 10 plates spinning then one of them i don't know this is just what's worked for me because uh because i don't like the other way of going about stuff which is like high like like playing the lottery which is what a lot of people do which is just like just just bang your head against the wall and try to get the one 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 big like huge payoff where you get on dancing with the fucking stars or whatever and make a million dollars you know this is more healthy to me but also this is method stuff so could be entirely different i don't know how do you make stuff What's while, your- while i was listening to you i was thinking oh i'm i'm way more like uh you know lenny with the bunnies um at the end of uh well what the fuck not grapes of wrath the other john steinbeck thing the um you know where he gets too excited and like just chokes the thing the the bunnies to death the, yeah. then in my head i remembered lemmy and i was like ah the ace <laughs> of spades the <laughs> choking rabbits yeah. the- oh man that's good i got to stop myself from cracking up in the middle of what you were talking about the no i mean i i think um a lot of it is i gotta try to sort of loosen the chokehold i have on my life i think a lot of this comes out of you know fear and anxiety the um it has been such a long fucking time since i've written anything the i mean you want to talk about sort of organic writing the um I think, I mean, I think the last time I, I wrote something sort of organically was, you know, maybe 2017, the, um, I, uh, you know, been a huge Mark Lanigan fan for a long time. You know, he and I've got to be friends. I think he's actually going to produce a record for me this year, which would be massive. The, but his, but it's, it's weird because, um, you know, we are absolutely friends, the, but also, you know, there's a sort of a third presence, which is his music, which is that's incredibly powerful for me. Um, and he had come out with a new record called uh, Gargoyle. And so I wrote like a musical, like a response to it, the um, disguised as a record review. The, but the, one of the things, I mean, we've talked about this before, you know, there's that thing of, um, oh, you know, uh, make a living doing what you love and you never work a day of your life. You know, the, and the flip side of that is turn your passion into a job and you'll never enjoy it ever again. And the never stop working, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. 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 Be self-employed and your boss will always be a cunt. The, um, but the, when my sort of, you know, ship came in with the Amazon stuff in whatever, 2011, 2012, 2013, the, I was getting so much fucking money to write about my stupid feelings, the, that then now to write just for writing's sake, um, feels all right. I think in, before 2020, to write just for writing's sake felt like, well, why am I doing this if I'm not getting paid, which is absolutely in bad faith. And then now I have like two stories that I'm dying to tell. Um, neither of which I want to, I want to write, you know, one is the thing that we'll never talk about. The other thing is like, I published a book about forgiving my dad. Um, and the 
and the book was sort of pivots around this letter that we found when I was 15, that we understood it to be a letter he had written to um, his secretary. And it was, you know, physical concrete proof of his infidelity and that he was a shitty man and all this stuff. The, and then, you know, 20 years later, I, I went and sort of interviewed him about that. And he, he, and we were talking about something else. And he was like, oh yeah, my therapist was having me write letters to your mother to try and teach myself to fall back in love with her. And then I was like, wait, dad, is it possible that that's the letter that we found? And he was like, yeah, maybe that's what it is, you know? So the, um, then that was one of the things that sort of helped me find forgiveness for him. And then just before the book published, my mom was clearing out a storage unit and she was like, Mishka, I found the letter. And it was, and she produced it and she was like, and it was in my father's handwriting addressed to his secretary signed at the bottom. You know, he, he fucking lied to me when I was a kid. And then 20 years later, when I was trying to sort it out, he fucking lied to me again. And I published a book about it and people message me all the time being like, it's so great that you forgave your dad. How did you do it? How can I do this? And I don't know how to tell them I made a horrible mistake. I should have just fucking written him off. And, you know, with, and I, I don't talk to him anymore. I haven't talked to him in years. The, um, and that is a huge, that piece is a huge fucking bummer. <laughs> I, I don't want to write it and you don't want to read it, man. You know, it, 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 cause I mean, the moral of that story is keep hold that grudge and that relationship forgiveness is for student loans. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fuck, I'm going to bury you, you motherfucker. <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah, man. I don't know. I read your book. I remember that. Um, I, this doesn't undo the book for me at all. You know, when you write something, it is confined within a certain timeline and stuff and it is like what you were feeling then i don't know if i would have like regret over that or feel like it got undone this all totally adds up to me i think it's fine the i don't know we'll see the i do i mean i do have to deal with it at some point the the other thing too is that like um writing has always been my therapy um to to just go and like sit in front of the computer and, and, and blurt it all out and, or maybe just sit there paralyzed and fucking cry. And um, the, I mean, what we're talking about with this podcast is me going through all these feelings in real time, which is not something that I do as a writer. I hide in my room and go through all those feelings. The, and then when I'm, up on stage, I am an actor. I am acting. I am remembering. I am faking it. The, yeah, except for the... except for occasionally when uh, I get too tired on the road because my fucking tour mate snores so bad he has to sleep in the bathtub, <laughs> and I like cry on stage because I have a feeling, and I'm so un you know it's so unfamiliar for me to act, to have an actual feeling up there because I've. Um, armored myself so well by dividing these two things of um, that's why I always thought you were a fucking psychopath man is because the you don't script 
every uh, syllable, every breath, every beat in the story, the you go up there and you just like think and feel your way through that and never do that. It's so fucking nerve wracking to watch. I, I remember, <laughs> I, I remember we were in Kansas and we were doing that show in that fucking Coke dealer's living room and you were going into a bit and it's a great bit. And I, it, it, I love the story and you were going into it and some girl was fucking talking over you and I was ready to punch her. And you told me to stand down because it was more interesting to you to fucking spar with her than to tell the story that you had ostensibly come there to tell. Um, for that, I will never forgive you. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, the reason that you cried on stage was because you downed that bag of mushrooms in the blues control van on the way to Joe and thought that they wouldn't. <laughs> it was a great big man, tiny little mushroom, great big man, tiny little. Why did you, it shouldn't have done anything to me? There's this thing with mushrooms where everyone thinks that the psilocybin is like distributed evenly throughout the bag, and it's like not like it. Oh yeah, uh, no, it's all the bottom, dude. I, I, was at a party, <laughs> I was at a party one time, and there was like mushroom chocolate, but there was only one. And like me and like four other people were like, "What if we just split it up?" And then like we all microdose or whatever. And then like we did that, and then we were all they were all we're all sitting around, and they were all like, "Ah man, I think this thing's a dud. Like I'm not really feeling anything." <laughs> this sucks and then i was so fucking high and i had to just be like <laughs> yeah totally because <laughs> i didn't want them to know that i like ripped them i mean i, I got it you know yeah yeah felt bad or whatever but anyway um yeah man i mean that this goes back this is a good this is a good place to focus on because this is about the uh the mode and the method kind of being a functional part of how you process and how you get an end result of a thing right and so uh, writing the way you write always terrified me because i it's i have all the add of my generation and stuff and i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about a lot of the time so i was i was wanting to write a novel when i was like real young but i was like dude if i lock myself in my apartment for like two years and i write a story then i'm gonna like present it to some publisher and they're gonna be like this is like gobbledygook you know because there is no process of it like bouncing off of anything that idea taken to the extreme to me usually doesn't end up with like good shit what i like about stand-up is that it's highly temporal and so even if you're bad at like this part of creativity where you rely on yourself a lot and you somehow stitch together all these interesting things behind the scenes if you're doing enough stand-up you're constantly in contact with the thing that you're bouncing all this stuff off of and it also like there's a degree to which I see comedians who are too polished and it bums me out because I'm like you're cheating this is basically acting stand-up is when you're literally like in dialogue with the audience to it to an extent like to the furthest extent that you can get and i mean like i like joke tellers and stuff like that and, but what and whatever but like to me given that moment if there's someone in the audience and there's something something interesting happening i'll always roll the dice on that because like the feeling in the room of having that happen will instantly juice the whole fucking show like everyone watching it will suddenly realize this person isn't bullshitting us they actually are looking us in the eyes and and something's happening so you like 
kind of established this connection that even then comes back and pays dividends on the other jokes that you did write that are just written on a note card or whatever, because they'll like you're presenting the illusion of this all being something that I'm saying right now, even though we kind of know it isn't right. And like, if you can weave in and out of that, that's, that's what I always liked about stand up. And I watched a ton of weird CD bar stand up when I was like starting to do it. And I did a lot of sets at the ends of open mics and stuff just so I could do that. And I always like, that's what makes me feel like good, like creatively. It makes me feel exhilarated when I'm doing stand up. So like if I did 10 shows in a row and they were all like B plus, you know, like, oh, I did my jokes correctly or whatever. That would be less enjoyable than if I fucked a few up, but I knocked a few out of the park or whatever for me. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess like. Hang on, I lost my train of thought. Hold on. Um, <laughs> what was your original thing, though, about this? You had, like, a question. The I have no idea. The No, I mean, I, I think, um, I, I, you know, I was talking about how you sort of think or probe your way through sets and that you're you're willing to uh, oh. go in and go. This is what I was getting at. To, to tie it back into this question about starting this podcast, What I, what's worked for me is not, and I know this is like such a stupid modern like millennial phrase or whatever, but not being afraid to fail like a lot because like most people when they start doing stand-up are like the thing they're just terrified of is bombing. And like when I was real young, I started doing this shit, you know, you have a, a existential like rebirth after you bomb for the first time and you realize that it's an illusion that you will die, you know? Like you won't actually be hurt by going up and doing some jokes that aren't very good or doing some jokes that are fucking horrible. You feel like you took an acid bath or something and like you you for a mo you have a night where you maybe you have to shake it off or whatever. And then you just go do it again and by understanding that more than other people, you then have a superpower because then you can play statistics and probability and go well if i do this enough times and i'm able to withstand the the failure a lot i'm able to like divine these like bits of of like interesting like hard to reach information out of the process of just dicking around on stage and stuff like that and like that's always been to me like a like a really um like uh, indispensable piece of like method because I'd see that with podcasts too, where it's like, everyone's like, Oh, what if no one listens to it? I'm like, no one will listen to it. You will fail until you succeed in this. And that's like, the, if you get, if you get over that, you are then also miles ahead of everyone else who's competing with you in this thing. And also it's not that much of a competition. So who gives a shit? Because, you know, it's, uh, uh everyone could have a successful podcast and make a little bit of money off of it. We're not actually all competing for a scarce amount of space in the podcast sphere or whatever. The, um, it's a good speech. I wish I believed it, man. The, I, I I'm still pretty much convinced that, uh, if I put my pen to paper right now, it would be so bad that I would die. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, I once went back through like my hard drive. I mean, I was probably whatever, 25 or 
in my 20s and I went back and read some stuff stuff that I had written when I was a teenager and I couldn't wash the stink of shame off myself for like weeks <laughs> where Isn't I was that how like, you got here the well uh, yeah I mean that's the that's the ridiculous I am the guy who failed so hard for so long that I became a success and the ironic thing about it is that I'm fucking terrified of failure the like nothing scares me more the um this is what a thing that came out of therapy is that like i imagine myself to be um not like a fucking um you know not a renegade or something like that the i don't um i don't like myself enough to say something like that but that but that i do my own thing and that like i don't give a shit what other people think and that i um I, i'm not an iconoclast but like the but i just do my own thing and i don't let other people like slow me down or whatever the it's totally You're an true. authentic person no bullshit is... I, I i totally i'm totally not i am totally not the i have like a dozen different mishkas stored up here in my head ready to provide the one to you that you want in that moment or that I think that you want, you know, that when people come up to me after a show and they're like, Hey, you know, big fan. I'm like, the first question I ask them is where did you hear about me? Because yeah. I need to know if they know me through Stan hope or right. if they know me through rich role, because the, the people, the, that then, you know, when they answer that question, that's the fulcrum that tells me which, which person I will provide for them to you know, have a conversation with for two minutes at the fucking merch table or whatever. The um, I'm a people pleaser. It fucking sucks. And it sucks finding out this late in life. You know, it's like now, now I have to become the iconoclast, you know, the. Well, you're a performer. That's part of it. Yeah. Um, This failing thing, like failing until you take off. I, I was thinking about this a lot recently because another realm in which I've had to do this is uh a few years ago i decided that i really wanted to catch up on something that i had dropped before i got into stand-up which was like reading political theory and philosophy and stuff like that because the world started to change and i was had like oh i had an inkling i read a lot of uh you know shit in sociology and college and stuff like that and um and then i decided i wanted to do a podcast where i did that as part of the podcast and you know, part of that is I don't care if you listen to old episodes of my podcast and I sound really dumb because that's how I got to where I am now. And I understand a lot of shit, but I've had people like, I mean, especially because it's in politics and people want to kill each other over political stuff, especially online where it's anonymous. People drag up my old shit all the time and they're like, look how stupid you sounded in the year 2016 when you said this thing about the CIA or about Hegel or whatever the fuck. And I'm I. it hurts dude i get it like it i don't no one likes to be confronted with this part of the method because your ego is a thing that protects itself by going no 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 i am impervious to criticism or whatever it's it's kind of counterintuitive and i think if i wasn't doing things that i'm doing i might not like i might conveniently never look at old stuff that i said that was stupid or whatever but it's unfortunately it's being thrown at me and uh, I, this is how I rationalized it at one point. It was like, if I wanted to go learn about like communism and Marxism and shit at a college, like go to the new school or something, I could, well, I couldn't, but I could find a lot of money or take out a lot of student loans 
go do that behind the protected gilded ivory walls of a college and then come out with a degree that says you have to listen to me and then speak from there and probably not no one would be able to look up like essays i wrote earlier that maybe sounds stupid or whatever or i could save myself hundreds of thousands of dollars and be a little embarrassed from time to time and also probably contribute better to the world though by going yeah everyone is stupid before they get smart it doesn't fucking matter all you have to do is go you know well yeah that was me i don't give a shit but i don't know this might be kind of a modern problem though because like it seems like it wasn't until recently that that there's everyone was able to be called out at any given time on whatever fucking thing they said ever in history because we weren't operating with this like constant uh thing where we documented everything we said or whatever and it's it's making people freak the fuck out but i think like the the future of it is like that everyone is going to go through this process of accepting it like you can't be the last person who's hiding and it's like no 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 i don't i live without the internet and it doesn't uh you know you can never look at younger me and criticize my young work or whatever like eventually it's going to even out and we all just live like this so like i guess i'm just like heading like like headlong into it with disregard for whether it hurts because uh it seems worth it i don't know jury's out the so i feel i mean i feel like we are operating from very different models i mean one of the things that that blew my mind early on was that the the way a comic works is you uh you have an idea and then you go up on stage and then you uh flesh it out um, in public in front of people because they're an integral part of the process and then you record it you you get it to a point where it's perfect and then you record it you effectively freeze it in time and then you never tell those jokes again it's yeah. the exact fucking opposite um as a writer or as a musician you know where the as a musician you you work on the song by your by yourself and then you play it with the band a hundred times, a thousand times, whatever you fucking, you make all the changes basically there um, in the privacy of the practice space or editing in fucking Microsoft Word or whatever. And then it's like the Athena model, you know, where she sprang fully formed out of the head of Zeus. You know, you're talking about like a baby growing in a colostomy bag so that everybody can fucking see what's happening. The, and it's terrifying. It's unnatural, Jake. It's uh, <laughs> It's way more it's way more natural to think of a, a god springing out of your head <laughs> <laughs> it's an american tradition in my opinion the old Stand colostomy baby yeah <laughs> <laughs> mark twain was the first colostomy baby <laughs> the, which Michigan am i talking to right now uh, I don't, a nervous one uh, <laughs> i i feel like we've got, we've gone too deep um already the and that there's you know there's no way out from this the but also I went for a long hike today with the dog and then drank way too much coffee um, because I'm tired just before we got on. But the, one of the things though, is that, and this is, you know, this is more on sort of like scripting and performance and stuff like that. I, you know, having done a lot of podcasts where there is a premise, you know, the welcome to the fourth grade podcast where we're going to talk about, you know, what you learn in social studies or whatever, you know, the, um, are you smarter than a drunken fifth grader? Um, the, why are all your examples about fourth and fifth graders? Uh, let's save that for therapy. Um, <laughs> the, I mean that, you know, that's another part of my experience is that I moved a lot as a kid. So there was never a linear progression of everybody remembered when I wore MC hammer pants to school, you know, mm. the, but the, everybody, 
has only known me for X couple of years. So I'm able to imagine myself to, okay, I, I started life here at 15 or I let it started life here at 17 or whatever. The, so, you know, so it's like the, I've I mean, been, been able to trim my past away and present to people that I am, I've always been the person I am now. The, um, but one of the, one of the things I want for this podcast is to, um, pitching it as grief buddies or grief nudes, which was another idea I had the, again, yeah, not, um, I don't hear the, the roaring of the studio audience erupting into applause. Um, no audience. The, With your head. The, what? Um, <laughs> the, uh, but to have a podcast where we can talk about fucking darkness, um, you know, that isn't just, um, you know, let's, let's bring the, this collect, you know, this collection of sort of half-baked riffs that we have um, to the podcast, find ways to awkwardly feather them into the, the conversation, the, um, and then, uh, you know, everybody end on a big laugh. You know, I mean, I, I remember the, uh, back when Stan Hope and I were friends, uh, going down to Bisbee and we would we would know we were going to be seeing him and know that seeing him meant we were going to be on the podcast so we would all be like frantically preparing these off the cuff yet gripping uh, stories to tell on the podcast so everybody would listen and love it and it's, it's so performative and you know it's like the um all right we're gonna have taxidermy for dinner you know the they're all, cooking and taxidermy are opposite things the does that make sense we're gonna have taxidermy for dinner <laughs> uh i think i get it yeah <laughs> okay i know I, I see what you mean as it's a metaphor for um for this thing where you're bullshitting by pre preparing something to present it as spontaneous yeah which is like this it's the inherent contradiction in all fucking performance, right? Yeah. It's crazy. The, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why the, the story you told at the moth here in Phoenix is one of my uh, favorite performances I've ever seen you do is because when, I don't know if you remember anything before COVID, the, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I but that, I feel like that whole year you were um, like almost catatonic in the van. Um, at times I remember seeing you uh, just sitting there, not like watching the scenery or something like that, but like, like staring at a wall um, while we were doing 75 miles an hour, that, which may, now that I know a little more about cars, it may have been carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> the, I know that I can handle. Leads to my fourth apology. The um, <laughs> but you just seem to be so heartbroken that you're like, um, you know, you were talking about like moving up upstate with that girl and uh, like raising goats and shit. And I, when the word goats left your mouth, I was like, this will end in tears. There's no, <laughs> there's no other possible conclusion, you know, the, yeah. the, um, but then when, when the hammer dropped the, you did look like physically devastated and it, I think it was that, that grief, that loss, that heartbreak, the, 
um, that made the story you told at the moth about the end of that relationship so compelling is that it was the right emulsification of something you had prepared and the it was like maybe it's like um the the buck and bronco in the rodeo the where it has to be the right the, the horse has to kick a lot right it has to be really hard for you to stay on and you have to stay on for as long as you can in order for it to work if the horse doesn't kick a lot but you stay on for the full eight seconds you get you get no points the yeah. or if, if the horse kicks you off right away you get no points the and that was that was a performance in which i saw your your preparation at war with the feelings you were having inside um and i thought you were gonna cry and you did a little bit <laughs> the, the, and that was i don't know that's why i think that's why it was so great that's why it was so effective you came um you got a victory out of it by coming so fucking close to failure. Yeah. Well, like if you see a comic or whatever, anyone performing, eh, I'm going to go with comic characters. I think this makes more sense, but like you see a comic and they're over-prepared. They're like super rigid and they just tell jokes, wrote one by one by staring it directly into space holding the microphone and shit some people really stick to this like i'm thinking like jimmy carr in my head right now and i'm like okay you know he's funny but like whatever right that is off-putting it's a failure on some level because you look at this and you go this person why are they even performing this what they're doing has nothing to do with the fact that there's an audience here because they have no back and forth no feedback loop with the audience this could just be a thing you put on TV or whatever, or it could be just fucking talking to like the cardboard cutouts in the apartment and King of Comedy or whatever. On the other hand, the other end of the spectrum is if somebody is so live, then they have, they're not going to have any, they're not going to do any funny riffs because like literally just going up with no experience and no nothing working behind the scenes. Like, if, like, I mean, you'd have to do your first time doing comedy to kind of be doing this. You go up and you're like, I'm just going to like, Hey, nice shirt, motherfucker, you know, whatever. And just like try to do crowd work and stuff. That also sucks because the only thing that makes those comics good is that they have do have little prepared nuggets of like, you know, it's like um, in like freestyle rapping. If you were talking to rappers about this, they do the same thing. Whereas they have little avenues of shit that they've sort of written that they like rhyme themselves into and then take a breather while they're doing that one and then jump off and then go improvise a little bit or whatever. And it weaves this whole fucking thing together that uh, creates like an interplay between the prepared stuff and the spontaneity and like synthesizes everything. Right. Yeah. So that moment, that balance you're talking about, I think is the synthesis like in between those two ends of the spectrum. And that's like, yeah, for my money, I mean, that's where like the, you know, the fucking juice lives. That's where the magic of performance and stand up lives. And uh, to me, as somebody who makes this shit, I, I'm like, no, that's, that's the stuff that when I get off stage or I see someone else doing it, I'm like, this was the whole point. Everything else was just something along the way that led to getting to moments like that. It's also kind of why I don't really have a lot of like material online. I, I've been actually getting <laughs> like work and stuff like that in the last couple of years of my career, but I like, 
then they'll be like do you have a clip and i'm like no you have to come see this shit happen because it's the only fucking thing worthwhile there stand-up sucks until you get to this you know but um that year i was like totally completely out of my mind i i just you mentioned this i know you've read at least some of this book or probably read the whole thing um but i just read the body keeps the score which is about like ptsd and uh so much shit happened to me in the years of like 2018 to 2019 really through last year that i you know it was just a completely turbulent chaotic storm and i i kind of realized as i was reading that book that they described this thing about how when you experience trauma your brain does not consolidate the memories in the way that it normally would, which is in a chronological order that forms into a narrative. Everything is so jumbled up that it, the story that you're being told when it, when it, you flash back to it, like a fucking nom vet experiencing shell shock and stuff, it comes to you out of order and in just completely weird sensations and stuff like that. And in like the year 2020, I remember somebody mentioning like, my friend Raghav had died like a year beforehand in early 2019. And I was like, no, he died like three years ago. What are you talking about? You know, or like some other thing. And then I literally like, I had to sit down one night and like, cause everything, it was just such a blur. I, I wrote everything down. It was like 2018, the fucking ice comes to my apartment. Then me and Sid break up. Then men, then oh, I said her name, whatever. Uh, <laughs> that was my own rule. I broke. It doesn't matter. Um, but like, you know, then uh, my other friend killed herself and then yada, yada, yada. And it like turned into this huge fucking thing. And when I wrote it all down, I was like, this does not match in my head with how it feels, because it feels like all this stuff is just a wall of mixed up, blended up pain or whatever. And that's why I think I definitely have PTSD from a bunch of shit that happened. And I think I was experiencing it that year. So you're right. I was probably catatonic, but um, I don't know. I didn't feel... Uh, in the moment, if you'd asked me, why are you staring into space? I'd be just been like, oh, I'm working on my set list or whatever, because I do that a lot. But maybe I wasn't. Also, the carbon monoxide thing, there's definitely something to that as well. Yeah, the <clears throat> I have uh, I have another old truck that makes the, the van look like a smart, reliable, uh, economical vehicle. Um, <laughs> and the when I, whenever I'm driving it, I'm like, I'm so sleepy, so tired. I can just drift <laughs> away. <laughs> i get out and i'm like oh my head hurts <laughs> um, yeah you guys yeah. want to take a ride in the popper van <laughs> <laughs> the um the way you describe it makes so much sense to me the um you know we've all had that thing of like the guy the guy at the end of the bar who's like still in denang or whatever you know the um and everything that he remembers about that experience is all still happening to him at the same time the yeah. that was definitely my experience with you know, the shit that i've been going through the you know how many vietnam veterans it takes to screw in a light bulb uh vietnam veterans don't screw in light bulbs they screw in saigon or <laughs> i don't know the... that's a pretty good answer <laughs> all those jokes just <laughs> the... <laughs> Damn. uh the, the what the joke is is the person goes uh no i don't know and then you go that's right you don't know you weren't there <laughs> the i love those fucking street <laughs> jokes the um i was thinking of a thing the oh the do you minimize all the shit that's happened to you too 
the because when I went back to therapy last year and was talking to this therapist and it's like it's such a drag because it's like you have to get to know this therapist all over again and tell them all the things and whatnot the yeah it's gonna be um, a relationship and I was like the oh yeah no that was when I was 17 that guy was trying to kill me and she was like whoa 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 the, and I was like, I don't, it, it wasn't that bad. He didn't get me and he died eventually. So fuck him. I won, you know, the, um, the, she was like, wait, no, let's talk about that. Or, you know, I was like, oh, well the shipwreck and two, and she was like, what that? I was like, well, I'm here. So it, it wasn't that bad. You know, I said, like, no, the, um, and you know, I mean, that was the same year. PTSD from a shipwreck. I know. That's, that's so, crazy. That's so quaint. Captain, dude. <laughs> they give me a corn cob pipe to, uh, <laughs> You have to, when you tell a story, you're like, it was a mighty gale. <laughs> yeah, it's so, well, I mean, and that's the other thing is like, how, how can I have uh, PTSD <laughs> off of something as comical as that? It's like, oh, you know, a, a tragic balloon accident or <laughs> it's just, <laughs> oh, that's yeah, it's when funny. I, when I woke up, I had a ship's wheel that implanted in my crotch. Yar, it's driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's why it's funny. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the I do I minimize? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. The do do did you find yourself minimizing the sh you know the, like oh Raghav died, but like everybody loses friends and stuff like that, or you know everybody that we know in New York has lost a friend to a fucking OD or whatever. You know the yeah, I think I do that. Tell yourself the that it wasn't such a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I, sometimes you can see yourself doing it and sometimes you can't, but I know that I'm doing like all sorts of stuff at any given moment to uh, keep like everything held together because your body is an organism that needs to keep operating. So like sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's unconscious entirely, and sometimes it's like semi-conscious, but like, I mean, at Raga's funeral, like I knew this, I know this about myself this far into my life or whatever but like i this thing was happening where i was just i couldn't stop making jokes because like i'm a comedian and you know you've read all the stupid dumbass comedy store people on twitter this week we this is why we do this it's you know a thing that you use as a coping mechanism to deal with darkness and stuff and i was like i could feel myself doing it and i also was like allowing myself to do it but i also knew why i was doing it and like this thing that that fucking writer mentions in the body keeps the score like happened and i even though i've always understood this while it's happening too which is that uh like it's at one point i started crying but like without feeling like all of the feelings that you feel before you start crying i just felt the tears come out of my eyes while i was just talking about like you know let's go get a burger now or whatever that this thing is over and like that is all of these unconscious walls and stuff and, and mechanisms keeping you from experiencing the thing because it's like an existential threat to you in that moment. So you're dissociating on a level. And uh, I it's it's mind blowing because I like when someone is like, you're minimalizing this thing, you're you can even be aware that they're right, but it doesn't feel that way. Like it, it feels corny to me for for someone to ask oh what was it like when Raghav died and then to like break down crying about it or something it would feel honestly parts of it would feel performative and maybe yeah. self-indulgent so mm -hmm. like it's it feels like way it makes more way more sense to go like yeah it's fucked up you know that's New York City baby uh, you know <laughs> the, 
one of the things that I, I mean, I, I think of two, I don't know, very sort of like uh, sci-fi things of, you know, that when shit like that happens, the, I, in 2020, I had a uh, breakdown where um, I was like uh, crying without tears of just making like a, fell on the floor and made a fucking like hacking sound you know and i just couldn't get off the floor for like an hour yeah uh, but it makes me think of like uh the end of alien where the you know they've sort of disabled the android and it's like going through all these sort of motions the um that don't line up with the stimulus you know the basically the machine is overwhelmed or shutting down or, you know, something catastrophic happens to your car on the highway and then all the fucking windshield wipers start going and the lights start going and like all the, all the lights come on the, when you're overwhelmed with grief or trauma or stimulus or something like that, then sometimes you laugh at inappropriate times, you know, you, you know, the, or the um, crying without um, the emotional sensation of, or, you know, where it's just tears, but not the other thing that's supposed to go with it, you know? the yeah. um how how about um the podcast keeps the score <laughs> the, wait, oh god I, I got all right i got another one uh i'm here all week like w-e-a-k there's a comic who has that as the name of his album nick flanagan he's really funny god damn it <laughs> fuck you nick flanagan the um pod traumatic uh stress um get out of here a <laughs> post-traumatic stress because it's about posting that'd be kind of fun mm -hmm. if you're about like the internet huh. um uh Hot chasing tuna. the pod, pod tuna <laughs> the, i don't know the one of the other things that i wanted to I, another title i was sort of kicking around was um I wanted to do a fan's notes, uh, like a uh, reference to Fred Axley. Uh, if you haven't read that book, you got to read that book. You'll fucking love it. Not. The, um, the, but then I thought about just uh, something like I'm your fan because the with, because I'm fan. Dear Eminem, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> the, um, well, no, because I have, uh, I have really awesome friends who are all doing super cool stuff the um and then i have a bunch of people who i've met on the road um and in my head they're like fans the but i've seen them whatever three or four times when i go back through the country so they're like no we're friends the and they're where the they're drawing a heart i mean we talked about this a little bit earlier in the this is not a podcast the um the division between fan and friend the um so I guess, I don't know, maybe, one, maybe part of the theme of this will be um, bringing people from my friend group on here to give them compliments because there's, everybody gets so awkward when you say something nice about them. The, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and just to, because that's what I've tried to do with the house shows is just sort of share all the cool shit that my friends do with other people. Yeah. Okay, what's the opposite of fear factor? um gee. fan uh, uh cheer factor <laughs> we're, we're terrible at this uh, um 
All right, let's wrap it up because I need to pee. I got a shower. The um, Jake, I love you and I miss you terribly. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, likewise, <laughs> the, man. Um, it's funny, you know, the makes me think of when you and Avery uh, came here to visit uh, to do the show. The and um, we're, we're dudes and uh, men aren't exactly. Um, famous for being good at expressing uh, emotions and intimacy and stuff like that and you know when i came to the door we did a little like weird side hug the um you know definitely both of us happy to see each other and whatnot you know the and then later in the evening once we'd like gotten the work done and done a huge fucking rail of ketamine then i could just be like jake i, I missed you and you're like yeah me too like from the other side of the galaxy yeah yeah, man. That's just dudes being dudes. Yep. That's how uh, we are either built or socialized or something. I don't know. I don't know how it got this way, but it definitely is this way. Yeah. I miss New York horribly, too. I, a friend of mine is a uh, tour manager for uh, Patterson Hood. Why can't I think of uh, the band name? The um, They're coming through. And uh, so... He, but he can't because he's a tour manager he can't break the bubble so like i'm gonna see him and we'll be able to like wave and shout to each other you know but not to like hang out and just thinking about you know seeing one of my friends from new york i haven't been back last time i was um in new york was february just before the shutdown yeah the so i haven't been back in fucking you know two years um yeah man two lost years uh well, I, i'm hitting the road at some point so i'll come see you which is always fun because it feels like going to dagobah and seeing yoda <laughs> or something <laughs> uh, definitely uh let's definitely do that and definitely come sooner rather than later because the in fucking may it starts getting crazy hot again the but yeah we'd lo love to have you the back here at the the swamp planet um you got anything you want to plug on this thing that's going out to know you, you get any plugs you want to put in this message in a bottle <laughs> yeah actually i do want to go to the ocean and write like you know like subscribe and everything on a <laughs> smash <scroll>. the like <laughs> button <laughs> yeah, just throw it out there let the sea take it um if i mean you don't know maybe this becomes huge and then people go through the back catalog and they're like you gotta listen to the first couple of episodes uh i'm a carny shill i always do plugs because uh it, it pays off in the weirdest ways i'll be at a show and i'll sometimes do the thing where someone comes up to you and i'll go like where do you know me from and they'll say the wildest shit and sometimes it was a podcast that 10 people listen to so yep. in my opinion not that anyone's listening to this for advice, but if you're a young comic out there, be a carny, do your shill, put your little soapbox up. I have two podcasts They're called Why uh, You Mad, not Why Oh You Mad, Why You Mad with me and Luisa Diaz, uh, which is the one that we were talking about earlier. That, me and Rattlesnake. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. And Big Jake Flores. And, uh, I like yeah. Jake Okerson, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> similar to stuff like this it's you know philosophy and comedy and stuff like that and my other one's called pod damn america it's explicitly more about like socialist and communist anarchist politics with comedians and stuff i just had steve albini on the show to talk about the music we didn't even talk about that the, that must have been killer it was you know it was really funny because it was 
like it was I, he's like one of my favorite people ever yeah but also it was not a, like an intimidating huge crazy experience at all because he's the reason he's one of my favorite people ever is because he's very like antithetical to celebrity so he's just a guy he just shows up he starts talking and then he's hey thanks and, uh, yeah uh, i mean i um my old band we gave him a cd at a show and he was like thank you i'll listen to this the, yeah when oh, i think he said i can't prom he said i promise i'll listen to it but i, I can't i can't promise a response um but if you don't hear from me then you'll know or something <laughs> cryptic like that <laughs> i was like all right the, that's totally fair um yeah he's fucking rad so i also want to plug steve albini because uh you should listen to big black and all of his other bands especially that one um <laughs> that was one of my favorite bands for a long time the <laughs> the material jake the material sure yeah yeah no i love the comic book um yeah uh also my handle and everything is feral jokes feral like an animal jokes like jokes the anagram for my name that's how you can hit me up on all social media i'm on twitter a lot so don't follow me unless you want a bunch of bullshit but i keep my shows in my pinned tweets so if you're looking for where i'm going to be cheering that's the best way to get at me i do i do a live show called meat space here in new york once a month at the gutter next one's on february 15th and i'm also going on tour with um eve six the one hit wonder band from the 90s it's a long story we're going on a month-long tour in april um also i have a show on a website online called rush ticks it's like an online comedy club and that is it other than that i'm inaccessible plugs over <laughs> wow the that was awesome the um beautiful i love your work the i <laughs> I will get this this out before we're going to be doing a show at my house on February 19th, a show at my house in Phoenix, Arizona, the side yard stage. Um, the It will be a birthday show celebrating uh, not just the birth of myself, but also Kyle Pogue, uh, one of my favorite um, sheriff cowboy dogs that it actually encourages you to do drugs. The He <laughs> is like McGruff, the Coke dog. You know, he's yeah. like the French coat um, and everything. Like, uh, hey, kids, you holding, you know, um, <laughs> the, but that show will be here uh, uh, February 19th. Uh, Christine Levine, a couple other people who I can't remember who I put on. So I have to check my messages. But um, yeah, and we'll have a name for this next time, I hope. Uh, thanks, Jake. <laughs> Tell Pogue I said hi. I will. All right. Later. Later. <laughs>